Well, if you have a Bible with you, open up in the Bible to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to be at the end of that and the beginning of Galatians 4. And uh, I know uh, Larry has been in this section in Galatians. I got to be honest, when I heard that he was doing Galatians for a church that's kind of getting started, I'm like, wow, man, you're, you're diving into the deep end. But uh, there's good stuff in here. Like Larry said, there's the gospel. And, and the gospel is the good news. It's the good news. And, and as we talk about the good news, Paul also reminds us of what was the bad news? What was the, the, the tough stuff? And so uh, just pick it up at verse number 23. In verse number 23, it says this. It says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. There's two key phrases in there. Paul says that the law held us captive, and it says that the law was our guardian. So in the 22 years that I've been at Creekside, uh, of which Larry and I, we've had, what, six going on seven years, right, together, um, I've had the privilege of doing discipleship with people who have been in jail. In fact, there's one young man in particular that I spent probably 15 months worth of discipleship where he was up at, he was held up in Golden, there the jail up there, and then he was brought down to Douglas County where he was convicted of some serious crimes. Long story short, uh, he was sentenced to 45 years in prison. And uh, in the midst of that, I'll never forget when I would go to the Douglas County Jail to sit with him on a weekly basis, to work with him, to meet with him, to disciple with him, that I'd have to go in, and first of all, I'd have to show my ID, and then they would have me take all my personal belongings, oftentimes including my belt, and they would stick it in a locker. And then I would come to a steel door where I would wait, and they would open that door, and I would walk into an elevator. They would shut the door behind me, and there's no buttons in the elevator, which freaks you out because it's like, I want an emergency stop. I want something. There's no buttons in there. They've got a camera, and they proceed to drop you down, and then they open the elevator door, and then you walk into this corridor where they shut the doors behind you. You've got a still door behind you, a still door in front of you, and you're waiting for them to let you in. And sometimes I waited up to five minutes and I'm like, did they forget about me? And then from there, they would open the door and I would walk in to a particular room and that room, I had to wait for the steel door to open. I would walk in, I would sit down and then the steel door would shut behind me. And I could not get out until a guard came and released me out of that room where I would have to go right back through the process. And, and that was a sobering thought to think that there were probably four or five steel doors that shut behind me. And I couldn't get out if I'd wanted to. The Apostle Paul is using the picture of the law. He's saying, you want to go back into that prison? You want to go back into what that was all about? See, because he says there, he says, he talks about the law that we are being confined like a prisoner like a prisoner who is confined under the law, held captive. That's the first illustration he gives. He goes, when you go back into the law, as Larry talked about, the gospel is freeing, it's liberating, but then there's this picture of, you want to go back to the law? Think about that. And then the second illustration he gives is the picture of a guardian. 
And that word guardian was interesting because when a child was growing up, there in ancient Roman culture, they would have a teacher who would teach them, but then they would have a disciplinarian. He's the one, if you ever had a teacher that had the ruler that slapped your hands, did anyone ever have, I did. In fact, instead for me, and it's not just my hands, but it was my backside too. Um, but that's a different story. But, but the point is, they had a teacher who taught, but then they had this disciplinarian who was the, they were basically the punisher. And that's the picture that Paul is using. You're either held captive or you are being punished. And that's what the law does. See, I'm guessing Larry kind of has unfolded the picture that the law could not save us, but the law shows us that we can't save ourselves, that we've got a problem called sin. And so that's the picture that he's like, I, he's like, I don't want you to forget that. I don't want you to forget that. And so when we talk about the law, there's a word that comes up because this is called what's called legalism. And, and, and it's like, what is legalism? What is legalism? Well, it's interesting. I'm preaching in the book of John and I'm having these multiple encounters of Jesus coming up against the religious leaders. And they're like, Jesus, I can't believe that you healed somebody on the Sabbath. He's like, is it wrong to do good on the Sabbath? But they had 613 written laws, folks. And the religious leader said, you could not break them. And then on top of that, they had thousands of more oral traditions that they built on so that you could not even carry a bucket of water on the Sabbath. That's legalism. In fact, I used, Larry, your definition of legalism last week or two weeks ago, where we are jumping on the treadmill of works to earn God's favor. That we're jumping onto a treadmill of works. I'm trying to do good, trying to do good, trying to do good. It's like, God, do I look okay now? That's legalism, folks. And what does it do? And Larry brought this out to me. He says, it's, it's pushing, but you're getting nowhere. All the while, you're wearing yourself out. That's not what the Christian life is about. That's not what it's supposed to be about. What, what does legalism look like today? Well, here's a few thoughts that I had. A few thoughts is that, you know, certain churches, certain people say that you have to look a certain way before you come to church. And it's like, no. That you have to dress a certain way. That you have to live a certain way. That you have to sing a certain kind of song. That you have to read a certain translation of the Bible. That you never, ever miss a church service or a church function, that you never go to movies, you never dance, you never play cards, that you have to have your life all cleaned up before you can even come to church. That's legalism. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. And so I was wondering, why do we do that? Why do we give in to that picture of legalism? How many of you would be honest and say, that at times I feel like I'm trying to do as good as I can so God will love me a little bit more. How many of you can be honest with that? How many of you would be honest in saying, I, I'm not going to do that because I think God would love me less? Yeah. And really, that's at the heart of legalism. The heart of legalism is this idea that I think it makes God love me more if I will do the right things. Or... I'm afraid God will love me less if I do the wrong things. Can I tell you something? God loves you as much as he could ever love you. And nothing you do will ever change that. He loves you at 
and nothing you do will ever, ever change that. That's the way he loved you yesterday. That's the way that he loves you today. And that's the way he will love you tomorrow, no matter what you do, good or bad. And so then the second part of legalism that jumps in, why? Why do we try to keep all these rules? Is that it gives me a sense of accomplishment and pride that I'm doing it on my own. That it's kind of like, Jesus, you provided 95%, but I want to provide my 5%. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. What it says is that Jesus did it all. Just like the last song we sang, he will hold me fast. By his love, he holds me fast. So let's take a look at that love. Let's take a look at that work, that moving that Jesus did for us instead of us trying to do it to earn God's favor. Let's, let's, let's read on. Verses 25. As we read there in 25, what does it say? It says this. It says, but since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for you are all sons of God. And I would add sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ like a garment. There is no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs, Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So what does that all mean there? And what it's saying in a nutshell is this. Jesus is so much better than trying to keep a set of rules and regulations. Jesus is so much better. What do, we, what do we mean by that? Well, the first thing we see, it says in verse 25, but now faith has come and we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. And so what we see there is this picture that I have been adopted, that I've been adopted into God's family and I've become a member of God's family. And it's real key here as an adult child. And it's like, why? What's this big deal about an adult child? Well, it says in verse 27, for as many as you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. And so the picture that we have here is the fact that we have been adopted into God's family, but we have been given the full privileges. We're going to see this unpacked a little bit more in just a few minutes. But basically, a father, even a Roman father in ancient Roman times would have a child but they would not legally recognize that child as a son until he adopted him into the family. So that he may have lived for 12 or 13 years under the father, but the father had to legally adopt him in. In fact, the the ceremony was called the Liberella. And the Liberella, you see that little phrase to put on Christ? That is an image where they would take a child's toga They would take off the child's toga and they would give the child a new toga that says you are now an adult. Full privileges, full rights. You are fully in the family. And notice what it says there. It says in that picture that we've been adopted into God's family. We have put on Christ. He says we've been baptized into Christ. And I want to make that clear that I don't believe that speaks of water baptism but I believe it speaks to, and I went ahead and pulled it up here real quick. 
I believe that it refers to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where if you look at verse number 13, it says these words, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. When you say yes to Jesus, when you say, Jesus, I want you to save me. My works can't save me, but Jesus, you saved me. We are adopted into God's family and we receive, as I knock this over, we receive the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, folks. That's the baptism that Paul's talking about. And so long story short, it's our mark. It's our identifying mark that we have become adopted into God's family. So that's the first thing that we see that Jesus Christ brings. But second of all, we see that Jesus Christ, he is an equalizer at the foot of the cross. Notice what Paul says there. He says, there's neither Jew or Greek. There's neither slave or free. There's neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Think about those three different definitions there, those three different distinctions, cultural. It doesn't matter what race you are. Doesn't matter what race you are. Socioeconomic, social, it doesn't matter how much money you make or how much money you don't make. And then it says sexual, male or female, it doesn't matter that we are all equal at the foot of the cross, that Jesus has come to offer salvation to all. And so that's where I love a church that is represented across cultural boundaries, across socioeconomic boundaries you know, gender, to see men and women together. What Paul speaks of there, what Jesus offered was radical. The idea that there would be a religion, so to speak, that was for the Jew and for the Gentile, and they would come together when Jews and Gentiles by nature hated each other. The fact that a master could walk into a, a, a Sunday morning gathering and a slave, his slave, would also walk into the same gathering and they would be equal. It's the idea here of Ben walking in, Ben Bentner walking in, and Ryan's not here, he must be serving, but Ryan's his boss, right? Ryan's your boss. You listen to what Ryan says. What he tells you to do, you do, right, Ben? Or you get fired, right, Ben? <laughs> but when Ben and Ryan walk into this room, before Jesus, they're equal. That's the picture. And then men and women. See, we forget that back in this culture, women were not viewed at the same level as men. And I think what Jesus Christ did and what the apostle Paul did brought women to an equal footing at the cross. That's what Paul is talking about. That's the liberation that we see. But then we get to number three, because it says there what? In verse 29, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Now, I know Larry spoke about this last week, the seed of Abraham. But what we see is we receive what? The gift. We receive the gift of being placed in Abraham's what? Extended family. We are now part of Abraham's family. Again, Paul in Romans mentions the phrase, we are grafted in. We are grafted in so that we are now part of Abraham's family. And what's cool about that, that means we're grafted into the family line that God chose to bring the Messiah. Think about it. 
God said, Abraham, I'm choosing you not because you've done something good, not because you're worthy of it, but I'm choosing you and your family line for Jesus Christ to enter the world. That's the family we've been adopted into. That's the family that we've been adopted into. How many of you are into genealogy? Any of you into genealogy at all? Very, a few, a few. I know, I was hoping he was here. Greg Yoder, I know, is really big into genealogy. And I was going to ask him, what is the biggest name? What's the biggest name that as you've done your genealogy that you have found that you're a part of? For me, it's my understanding. I've done a little bit of looking. I haven't made the full connection yet. But supposedly Sam Houston. Sam Houston down at the Alamo, you know, post-Alamo, governor of Texas, all that. Supposedly he's one of my relatives. And, uh, And it's like, oh, that is so cool. I found out that Sam Houston's one of my relatives. Well, guess what, folks? We have a bigger relative than George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Sam Houston, and that is Abraham. Because God promised the Messiah through Abraham. But just like Larry said, we also receive the blessing of being a part of Abraham's family. We receive a blessing there, and we can never, ever shorten or minimize that blessing of knowing that we are now part of a family that God has put together. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, look about it, think about it, that do you really want to go back to that prison of of legalism and trying to follow rules, or do you want to celebrate the new adopted family that you're a part of? What do you want to do? He continues on, look at chapter 4. He says, now I say, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What's he saying there? Well, this is that moment in time where for a Roman child, from probably zero up to about 13 or 14, even though they had all of the full rights of receiving the inheritance, they had not been adopted into the family yet. They were still handled like a servant. They were treated like a servant. That was ancient Roman culture. And that the father would have that official ceremony of liberella, where he would say, now my child is an adult, and I recognize him as an adult. Paul says from that time of zero to 12 or 13, yes, you're a child. Yes, you are deserving of the inheritance, but you can't touch it yet. That's kind of the picture. But you can't claim it. You can't touch it. And he uses that illustration, what? To talk about the picture of the fact that being guardians, that as guardians and managers are kind of over us in the same way we also, we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles or the elemental elementary forces, the ABCs, that we were stuck doing the ABCs of the Old Testament law, that we were stuck looking and saying, hey, here's the law, but it doesn't save you. Now, think about that. For these people in this church at Galatia that were saying, you've got to do the law, you've got to do the law, you've got to do the law to be okay with God. It's Jesus plus the law is what they were saying. This would have been offensive to them because Paul was saying, basically, that's the ABCs. Why don't you learn how to spell words and write sentences? That's what he was saying. 
That's what he was telling them. And so those Galatian Jew Christians that were saying, well, it's Jesus plus the law. He was slapping him in the face saying, you know what? That's nothing more. The law was nothing more than to show that I have a sin problem, that I needed Jesus. And Paul says, do you want to stick to the ABCs? Or do you want to learn how to spell? And do you want to learn what sentences are all about, spiritually speaking? And so he says, Jesus becomes our liberator. Look at this last section here as we, as we continue to move forward there. Look at verse number four. It says, but... But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Here's Paul saying that Christ, the liberator, came at just the right time. His arrival to earth was just right on time. And look how he unpacks it. He says, first of all, God sent forth his son. So God the Father had a master plan. He saw the world had a sin problem. The world needs a savior. And so the Father put in place a master plan that his own son Jesus would come and his own son Jesus would offer life. So that's the first thing, that there was a plan. Second of all, we see that in order to save humanity, Jesus had to be the perfect mediator. So it says he was born of a woman. Jesus had to be human. So Jesus Christ, most unique person ever, fully God, fully man in one. Not part God, not part human, but fully God, fully human in one. And so Jesus Christ, as I like to say over at Creekside, he took on skin. Jesus Christ, fully God, came down from heaven to earth and he put on skin. That's the second thing that, that Paul says. He then says to redeem those that were under the law. What does that mean? What that means is that Jesus perfectly followed and he fulfilled the law. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. The law shows a sin problem. I'm the solution. That's what Jesus was coming and saying. The law shows that I have a sin problem, a right and wrong, and I've blown it, but I am the solution is what Jesus is showing. And then we see that it says, so that we might receive adoption, to redeem that we might receive adoption. And that picture of redeem is that Jesus paid the full price. He didn't pay some of it. He didn't pay most of it. He paid all of it. It's not Jesus plus. I'm doing a funeral today. I'm doing a memorial service today at 2.30 and the daughter of this family member is coming into town. And I asked her best friend that grew up with her that attends our church. I said, tell me about this gal. I said, where does she stand with Jesus? And her response is, it's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus that she believes in Jesus but she believes that there's got to be more that she's got to add to the equation. No. That word redeem means that Jesus paid it all, folks. He paid it all. Not some of it, not most of it. He paid it all. And because he was able to pay the full price, that has moved us from slavery 
into adoption. How many of you know the name Desmond Doss? How many of you know that name Desmond Doss? Anybody recognize? I see one hand. Okay, a couple hands there. Uh, he was a part of, in World War II, the Mieta Escarpment. And you're like, okay, that doesn't help me at all. How many of you maybe saw the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Ah, bingo. It's like, oh, man, where do I know that name? You know, you look at the life of Desmond Doss. What a powerful story. The fact that here he is, World War II, and he's a conscientious objector. He would not carry a rifle. And so his platoon leader, his company leader, did everything in their power to get him kicked out. His own company of soldiers were like, we don't want you here. Because if you don't have a gun, there's no way you can help us. And then Hacksaw Ridge takes place, where here's a group of US soldiers having to go up over this ridge. In fact, our son was in Okinawa on a mission trip, mission uh, experience for about four months. And I'm like, did you go to Hacksaw Ridge? He goes, you know, Dad, I went there, and yeah, there's this cliff, but there's like a grocery store right at the base of it. It's something Japan doesn't acknowledge. But long story short, the US troops come up over the ridge, and as soon as they come up over, they are ambushed by the Japanese. And they retreated. Only a third of them got down. The rest, wounded, dying, were left up top, except for one person, Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss, a medic, proceeded to get some 75 men off of the top of the ridge and lowering them down, including some Japanese, injured Japanese soldiers. What we don't hear about Desmond Doss is that he was actually wounded four times, including after that encounter by being in a foxhole with a group of other U.S. soldiers and a grenade was thrown in and he attempted to kick the grenade out and he ended up landing and the grenade literally just shredded his leg. Some 17 pieces of shrapnel. And there he is stuck in this foxhole and here are the medics coming to evacuate the wounded. And Desmond Doss said, no, you take him first. No, you take him next. No, you take him. And he was the last one that was brought out. And in the midst of being brought out of the foxhole, on a stretcher, he is shot by a sniper, permanently injuring his left arm. And they asked him, why? Why did you do that? And I love this quote that's attributed to him. He said, I would be willing to give my life to save another life because that's what Jesus did. I would be willing to give my life to save a life because that's what Jesus did. Folks, when he redeemed us out of sin, he paid a price. And that price is called the cross. That's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died to offer us life so that we wouldn't die, so that we would not have eternal separation from God. And so at just the right time, liberation came with Jesus Christ freeing us. But here's the other cool thing about this. If you look at it unfolding, we see there, it says, verse six, and you became, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of our son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I love this picture of the Trinity. Jesus came, the Father's plan And now the Father has sent the Holy Spirit 
into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. I love the ministry of the Trinity in our salvation, in our redemption, that the Father had a plan, Jesus Christ paid the price, and now we possess the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but that is something that shows you just how much God loves you. He'll never love you more. He will never love you less. He loves you fully right now, right here, right now. And what's the result? We get to call on our heavenly father as what? Abba. Abba was a term of endearment, Papa. Papa. We literally get to call on God the Father, saying, Father God, Father God. Think about that. I don't know of any other religion that says you get to call God Papa, but we do, because that's the intimacy of the relationship that has been offered. That's the gospel. And so what do we see here? We see this picture at the very end because it says there, you are no longer a slave, but a son, a son with full rights, full privileges, full inheritance. And if you're a son, then you are an heir through God. We get so much out of this relationship. We get so much out of it. And that's the third part of this is the fact that we receive an inheritance that money could never buy or anything on this earth could ever, ever buy. In fact, just a couple of passages here that I would like you guys to take a look at. They should be up on the screen. John chapter one, verses 16 and 17, it says, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his, that's Jesus Christ's fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If you underline, I would encourage you to underline grace upon grace. What that means is grace that will cover anything in your life. It doesn't matter what the sin was. It doesn't matter what your past is like. It doesn't matter the skeletons in your closet. God says, I offer you a gift that covers it all. Why? Because I love you. Because I love you. I love that verse. I had to get a little bit of John in there, but since we're going through the book of John over there. But then look at this one. Ephesians 1.3. It says, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Again, if you underline in your Bibles, I would encourage you that you would underline those three words, every spiritual blessing. Not some of the benefits, not most of the benefits, but the full benefits of being a child of God. The full benefits. The fact that, number one, we have been saved from death to life. Number two, I don't have to earn God's favor. I don't have to say, God, did I do good enough today? You're his child. He says, nothing you do will ever stop me from loving you. Nothing you do. And nothing you do is ever going to make me, make me love you more. And so we receive every spiritual blessing. I love this quote by Pastor Charles Swindoll. Look at what Swindoll says. He says, this includes being justified, which means I've been declared right. I've been declared right. In God's eyes, I've now been declared right that I have complete forgiveness of my sin, 
not most of my sin, not some forgiveness, but I have complete forgiveness of my sin, that I have immediate, unlimited, and unconditional access to the Father. Aren't you glad that you don't have to go to Pastor Larry with your sin problem? I'm glad I don't have to go to him. He's glad he doesn't have to come to me. Megan, aren't you glad you don't have to go to Larry with your, any sin issues that happen? Amen. <laughs> we can go directly to God. And he says, come. My arms are open. My door's always open. I want you to come talk to me. Whether it's about the sin and the junk that's going on in your life or the fact that you need encouragement or the fact that you just need to hear me say, I love you. We have immediate access to the Father. And then it goes on. We get membership in Christ Church. Folks, it's not being a member of Central or being a member of Creekside. If you have said yes to Jesus Christ, guess what? We are all members into that same church family. That's something I don't know about you, but I love the idea that here I am worshiping here and there are people halfway across the world that are also worshiping and they are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a powerful picture. That's the membership of Christ Church. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Remember I talked about being baptized into the Spirit, that we receive the Holy Spirit. And so we don't walk this journey alone, folks. We don't walk this journey alone, but God is with us 24-7. 24-7, he's with us. And then we see that picture, the promise of eternal life, that is life with God, so that this service that I'm doing today for this woman, before she died, I asked her a question. And the question I asked was this. When you stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? What are you going to answer, Pat? And her response was, Jesus paid for me. You want to know where Pat is? She's in the presence of God. And I will see her again because I've said yes to Jesus. Have you said yes to Jesus and all that he offers? And then the very last thing that we see, what? A future bodily resurrection. I know one thing, I am so looking forward to a new body. Because this one, man, is breaking down and it's not looking good, you know what I'm saying? But, but there will be a time when not only that we know that our spirits that God has brought about change in our spirits, he's going to bring about a new body. And that's just to name a few, as, as Swindoll said. But do you get the picture? The gospel is so much more. Jesus is so much more. And the apostle Paul, he says, why would you ever want to go back to trying to keep rules to make God happy? And so I want to leave you with two quick questions. Number one, do I really want to go back to this prison of trying to work and please the heavenly father because that's what Paul called it a prison do I want to go back to the prison of trying to do enough when Paul said that's not what God wants or would I rather desire to live for God because Jesus died for me would you rather go back trying to please God to earn something that you will never earn or would you rather say, you know what, Jesus, I want to live for you because you laid down your life for me. Remember the words of Desmond Doss? What did Desmond say? I'd much rather give my life to save a life 
because that's what Jesus did for you and for me. I don't know about you, but that's the gospel. And that's why I never want to go back to trying to keep rules. Because you know what? No matter how much I do, it would never be enough. But Jesus did it all for us out of love. Let's pray.